Rock Harbor. Good to see everybody this morning. We're on page 36 in our uh, study guides. A great lesson this morning. Not that all of them aren't. This is kind of fundamental to our belief system. And the title of it is that the king is coming. It's fundamental to your belief system to believe that. The king is coming. He's coming back. Coming back soon. I will also say this is one of the one of the phrases in Christianity that you can become the most familiar with. We were talking about this last week and the dangers of becoming familiar with the church talk and things that come with church. It can become very dangerous to become familiar with certain verbiage and certain words uh, that we become associated with. This is a phrase, this is a, uh, and connected with scripture, that we have, I believe, to a, to a large extent, the church has become very, very familiar with. And to a point where it's dangerously familiar. Do you know what that means? When something is dangerously familiar, it has gotten to the point where we, we have begun to take it for granted. Take it for granted. So, when you believe something is going to happen, when you truly believe something is going to happen, you act on your belief. You always will, no matter what it is. If you believe it, that's what you're going to do. If you believe there's uh, a tornado coming, everybody gets in the storm shelter. If you believe that there's, if there's um, danger ahead, regardless of what that is, you, you make arrangements to avoid the danger. And we can apply this to all sorts of uh, facets of our life. And the, the point I want to make as we get into this is that you will always do what you believe. And that's just flat out truth. You will always do what you believe. And, it did, and, it, and we could put it anywhere. This morning, I want to call the church back to our belief in that Jesus is going to return at some point. It's truth. And I also call you this morning to become not necessarily um, more familiar, but understand the reality behind what is being said here. It's a reality to it. It's like, you know, you heard that phrase, There's a, it's a reality check. Jesus is coming back is a, should be a reality check. Amen. Like, whoa. Because, I mean, we, we go about our lives every day, right? I mean, we get up, we go to bed, we get up, we do our stuff. We, do, we, we just we keep moving. And that phrase is, uh, the, the reason I say it become familiar, because we, we say it and we're like passive with it. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus is coming back soon. If you believe it, then you will act accordingly. We believe it. If you truly believe it, then we'll act accordingly. Now, let's get into this because I, I think there's a lot of stuff to learn here. Uh, key verse, uh, Matthew 24 and 3, Tell us when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world. Under, Let's get started. It says, As we conclude our study of Jesus' teachings in the Gospel of Matthew, we find his teachings about the end times. While much speculation has occurred regarding the timing and events that surround those days, we can be assured he is coming back. 
He is looking for people who are eagerly anticipating that day. Amen. That's that's the that is the bride. He's the bridegroom. You are the bride. That's the way it's been likened to. And he's saying, you are readying yourself as a bride for me to come and get you. It's a preparation. Would you? Would, can, can we agree this morning that a wedding is an important event? Amen. Nobody is out of step in a wedding. Nobody. There's rehearsal. There's understanding what's going to take place. It got it. Everybody has their part. They know their part. And then when the execution takes place, when it, when it goes forward, everybody knows their part and they knows what they're supposed to do. When that time comes and he comes back for his bride, everybody better be in place. Mm-hmm. And this, this lesson really gets down to the heart and really to the heart of what you and I believe, or at least should be believing. And, and I'll, get, I'll make another point here in just a minute, but let's, let's keep moving. After triumphantly entering Jerusalem on Sunday and clearing the temple of money changers on Monday, Jesus spent the Tuesday before his crucifixion teaching in the temple. When the Pharisees and Sadducees questioned him, Jesus knew their evil motives. He denounced their hypocrisy in front of the crowds and then left the temple for the last time with the words, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. He was talking about, obviously, the, the destruction of the temple and the destruction of Jerusalem. Jesus and his followers then went to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples asked him to explain the meaning of his comments at the temple. Tell us, when shall these things be, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? His answer is recorded in Matthew 24 and 25, also known as the Olivet Disclosure. All right, let's read our scriptures. I want to kind of zoom through that because I want to get to the text this morning. Page 37, let's read our scriptures. <coughs> Haley, go ahead. Matthew 24, 27. <clears throat> for as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. You also must be ready at the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. 2531 but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Thank you. (coughs) You're welcome. Page 38, Christ will come again 
when the religious teachers and Pharisees asked Jesus for signs to prove his authority, Jesus replied only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. He responded differently to his disciples' request for the signs of his coming. Rather than asking Jesus to prove his power, they were asking for signs to signal his return. Jesus wanted his followers, including us, to be prepared, promising the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now that, that phrase right there, that, that part of scripture, when it's talking about the one who endures to the end will be saved, I think that's a part that a lot of people forget about. And, and it's talking about literally referencing finishing your race. Finishing, finishing what you are doing. Getting to the end of it. In seeing and into it, but it's it's understanding and knowing that any time in between could signal the end. And, and we've talked about it in in church before, and we talked about the different forms of the end. Jesus, we know, is going to return back soon, and there should be actions that follow that. We know we understand that, and that you should act a certain way if you truly believe that. But if you also believe. In the, in the words of Christ and being prepared, then you also understand that death is an end. And that's even more unpredictable. And that we just don't know when that time is, is going to take place. If, if you, you know, you get up in the morning, you, you go about that routine that we talked about, and then you hear about other people all of a sudden meeting their end. This is something that has been weighing very heavily on my heart. I'm not just saying that for the lesson. It's that you just don't know when your end is going to come. Amen. You don't know. You don't know if it's, if it's, if it's going to be something physical that's going to fail. You don't know if you're going to deal with sickness. You don't know if there's something that's going to happen on the highway. You do not know. We assume and sometimes assume um, a bit much it, that everything is always just going to continue on just as it always is. And there's, there's, there's things in the Bible that reference that, but it is a dangerous thing for you and I to just assume that everything is just going to continue on like it always is and that you're going to get this predictable ending to your life where you'll know, okay, well, it's all coming to an end now. I guess I should really gear up in my prayer and make sure that I'm ready to meet the maker. If you actually think that thing through, that's ridiculous thinking. If you really think that through, that's crazy. And I actually wonder, and I, this is just me, I'm just wondering. I'm not saying this is going to happen to everybody, but I'm just wondering if our perspective is really like that. I wonder what the conversation with the Father sounds like. I see you waited to the end to really talk to me. I see that you waited and lived your life exactly the way you wanted to. And then when it come right down to it, then you got yourself ready. You don't think there's going to be some kind of account for that? This is the father. This is the king of all things. This is the creator of the universe. The one that sent his son to die. You think it's that easy? I've called this into question many times. And yes, I believe the Father is faithful. I believe the words are true. I believe if you call out to him that he will save you. Absolutely, I believe that. But it's the fact that you know that right now. You have knowledge of that. You know it. That makes it dangerous to you. 
Because now if you abuse it and pretend like it doesn't exist, well, then that's on you. I think all of those stories and, you know, people crying out to God at the last minute for salvation, do I think that God is faithful to them? Yes, absolutely. Why? Because they're ignorant to the fact. You're not ignorant. You know to be prepared and to be ready. Knowledge, that is knowledge of the mind and knowledge of the heart, is the thing that you're going to be held accountable for. You're going to stand before him. He's not going to say you didn't know. He's going to say you knew. And you still weren't prepared. I told you to get ready. I sent people in front of you. I told the pastor the message is to preach. I told him. And you still didn't listen. You thought everything was going to carry on like it normally does, and it didn't, did it? And we were talking, we were actually talking about this on the way over here this morning. We're talking about how quickly it can end. And you get one chance. You get one chance. You get one chance to forgive everybody. You get one chance to develop a relationship with the Father and to follow his will. Because he said, he said, it's the people who do my Father's will that make it. The people that, act, that are doing my Father's will, you get one chance. One. If that's not sobering, if, if, that's, if you walked in here this morning and you were slightly asleep, that's sobering enough. That'll wake you up. It's like, whoa. That's reality. That's the reality check. You get one shot. You get one chance. So he said, promising the one who endures to the end will be saved. Got to make it to the end of whatever that is. Although his arrival will be lightning fast, there will be indications the end is near. Like people spot vultures flying overhead before noticing carcasses they are circling, we will observe certain signs of Jesus' return, including great earthquakes, and there will be famines and plagues in many lands. There will be terrifying things and great miraculous signs from heaven. Do you not see those things right now? Amen. Amen. Now, this is the argument that a lot of people make. This is the thing that you have to look out for because a lot of people will, will make the argument. And I've listened to these arguments. Why so shut this stuff off? Because a lot of people say a lot of things and, and it's made to deceive you. To get you. You know what deception is in this day and time? Getting comfortable and thinking that he's not coming back right now. That's the deception. So he's saying great earthquakes and famines and plagues. They said, well, we've had great earthquakes and famines and plagues ever since... Jesus died and was resurrected. The last 2,000 years we've had that. Correct? We have. But is that the evidence that you're going to stand on to dismiss the return of Christ? That's dangerous. That's severely dangerous. I mean, truly, this is, this is connected to um, John the Baptist and Jesus saying in the early days, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You know what he meant by that? He's saying, well, you are entering into an era in which you can repent of your sin and receive salvation. You're entering into that era. Now, we have been in that era for about 2,000 years. We're living in it right now. But at some point, this era will end. Uh, time of dispensation. The ability to repent of your sin and to make things right between you and the Creator. The, the, the opportunity this morning to do the will of the Father and not your own will. It's still that time. But by the signs that we know we're running out of time, we know that it's quickly winding down, we see things beginning to wrap up, these for the believer are the signs that should motivate you. These are the, this is the reason why we've been talking about it in Rock Harbor. We talk about being asleep and waking up, right? It's like, wow, there's some things really going on here. Now, 
I want to refer back to what I said at the beginning. But you will only do what you actually believe. Don't, you got to be careful. Don't get familiar with all the news talking about, man, there's all these earthquakes happening. These earthquakes have been happening in Oklahoma lately. Everybody recognize that? Yeah. Been earthquakes happening in Oklahoma. There's been earthquakes happening over here. There's things that are taking place on a global scale, and it's starting to really ramp up. Have you noticed that? Some of these things are absolutely 100% historic. They're historic. These are things that should motivate you. It's like, for the believer, it's like, whoop, y'all better get my lamp and get it ready and get yourself in place because the return of the Father is near. That, that's the, that's the, um, that's what's at hand. That's what's at stake. Salvation. The end of all things. Do you, church, do we realize how major that is? That's major. Because that, what is that, what is that signal? That signals the end of your one chance. And there's no more chances. Just saying. <laughs> okay. Jesus will fulfill his promise with one final sign, visible to everyone. The Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Uh, Matthew 24, 30. Those who are not prepared will mourn, but there will be rejoicing when the angels gather his chosen ones from all over the world. Many believe Jesus was moving backward in his comments in verses 30 and 31, speaking about the rapture, which will precede the great tribulation and Christ's second coming in glory. But Jesus did not give an exact progression of events. No, he didn't. He didn't give an exact progression of events, and for good reason. But it is your, it is your fleshly tendency. Listen to me. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. It is your fleshly tendency to procrastinate. You knew you was going to put it off. You know you put it off every time. It is our fleshly tendency to procrastinate. And it's sad to think that we would procrastinate the Father. To procrastinate and say, well, yeah, there's some pretty major stuff going on. I guess I'll wait until I'm starving to death in famine. Then I'll repent. What is wrong with us? What's wrong with people? What's, what's going on in us that... The signs that we are seeing right now aren't enough to wake us up in that we look at these events and there's people right now fighting, debating when Jesus is coming back. I will give you my personal testimony about that. I have, I have sunk myself into believing just as they did when Jesus was walking the earth. He said, if I go away, I will come again and I will receive you unto myself. I don't need the details anymore. I don't need them. I just know he's coming back soon. And my responsibility is to act as such. That's to pray like today's my last day to make sure I'm staying prayed up, to make sure that I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. It's not, listen, church, if, if you're thinking, you know, if I knew the Lord was coming back, I'd hit my face and I would pray all day long. That's not necessary because the fact that you want to pray all day long is you're trying to make up for all the time that you didn't pray before. And that's the truth because if you're really ready and you know you're ready and you know you have a relationship with the Father, you're calm and you're good. And if somebody told you he's coming back today, you're like, Yes, I am. Great. I'm ready to go. 
that should be like a red flag in your life if you say, man, I'll, I'll, I hit my face and I pray all day long. Then you ain't ready. You might want to start structuring your time a little bit differently. Because that's a sign. That's a sign, church. Listen, there, there shouldn't, it should not be distressing to the believer. It should be comforting. You're about to meet the Father. So we're about to come face to face with the one uh, who has promised us all these things. Um, I'm trying not to preach this morning, so you have to. <laughs> I apologize. I'm, I'm trying. I want to. I want to relay this message because this kind of stuff is exploding inside of me, and it has been for a long time. So I've been holding a lot of stuff inside. Um, okay, so let's move down. Uh, responding to the disciples' original question: When will all this happen? Good question. Good question. Jesus said, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, and nor do you. Now, there's been debate over this, and I'll, well, let's just go ahead and I'll read down to the end, finish the little paragraph here. While scholars have debated the exact meaning of verse 36, particularly the nature of the Son's knowledge, we can be sure of Jesus' point. Humans do not and cannot know the exact timing of his return. That's, that's a fact, and it's set you cannot know. If he wanted you to know, you would have already known, and you better abandon anybody that says they do. You better abandon it. That's not good. And so this is, it just goes back to this thing that I've learned, is that all I need to know is that Jesus is coming back. That's all I need to know. Stop looking for the exact time. You're looking for Jesus' return, not the time. And you may think, well, I'm looking for Jesus. No, you're not. You're looking for the time because the time frame is connected to what you're going to do with your remaining time. You search yourself and you tell me if that's not true. You are looking for how much time do I got left so I'll know how to act. That's what we're looking for. And that comes back to our primal procrastination nature. I want to know the exact time. I'm going to narrow this thing down. Well, it looks like we got two years left. If you think you got two years left, look, church. If you think you got two years left, you're gonna fluff off for a year and ten months. If you truly believe that you got two years left, you're probably gonna fluff off for a year and ten months. And I'm just using that as an example because that's what people do, and that's why you were never told the exact day because you knew that's what you would do. So it has to be unpredictable. It has to be where you don't know. It makes sense to me. Jesus compared that time with the days of Noah when the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. If you, ever, if you want to draw a parallel, you can draw a parallel between the days of Noah and today, and it's getting more familiar all of the time. I mean, the, the Nephilim existed in that time uh, uh, because the, you obviously scripturally, and I don't want to get into all of that, scripturally we know... Um, that spiritual beings uh, joined with um, female, man, and formed children that were an abomination. They were Nephilim. It was literally like DNA splicing today. It's literally what it was. It was. It was. A, it's an abomination because they, the the devil went in. He said, "I'm going to change the 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 whole lineage to just ab uh, abominate the whole thing." And we're going to keep any of this from ever going any further. I'm going to stop the whole thing. Today, if you think, you think, well, that's not really going on today, right? That's not really taking place. Well, see, there's all kinds of nastiness and filth going on today with abortions 
and and DNA splicing and corruption of humanity. It's corruption of humanity, and it's going on today. Easy. It's an easy line to draw. Straight to Noah's day. Straight to the day. You can see it. And he said the last days will be just like the days of Noah. They they'll be just like it. And yes, it's a different era. It's a different technology. It's the same stuff. It's the same stuff. They're just using a different way of doing it. Although we, um, sorry, wickedness in, uh, is indeed rampant. Jesus was illustrating the way people would ignore the signs of his coming. Despite Noah's witness to those around him, life on earth continued as normal. What did he, what was the, what did he tell them? You remember how long that went on? He was preparing this thing for, what was it, 100 years? 120, I'm sorry. 100, 120 years of preparation. 120 years that it's going to rain. 120 years, wake up. And see, people are more worried about the time frames, though. Who cares about the time frame? If you're not ready, you ain't ready. It doesn't really matter. If it, what, what difference does it make if you understand the time frame? If you're not ready, you're just not ready. And that's the thing that people should be focused on is whether they're actually ready or not. Quit worrying about, quit worrying about the time. All right, let me give you an example. Now, I mean this respectfully, so don't take this the wrong way, and I'll, I, I think I'll conclude it where nobody's offended. <laughs> There was nothing worse in the plant when I worked at, 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 the, at the plant. There's nothing worse than working with somebody who constantly watches the clock. There was nothing worse than that. Why? Because they wouldn't get anything done. We had this, we had this guy. He would, uh, about 15, 20 minutes till it was time to leave, he said, whoa, whoa, boys, put down those drills. I'm like, Why? He said, we're on D-cell time. D-cell time. I said, what's D-cell time? He goes, that's the time before we actually get out of here. You don't work. You've got to decelerate. Slow down. We don't want to get all worked up before we leave. And management noticed what was going on because 15 minutes turned into 30. And before too long, we were becoming unproductive in the last 30 to 45 minutes. And so, yes, we were all guilty of it. Some were continuing to work. They were ridiculed by the ones who were wanting desale time. They were saying, no, 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 we got to slow this thing down. And they were constantly watching the clock, and they had this attitude. I think you and I were kind of talking about this over dinner the other night. It's like, man, I'm ready to get out of here. Constantly watching that clock. Man, 15, man, well, I'm tired of this place. I'm ready to get out of here. Constantly watching that clock. Constantly watching the clock. And they told us, they said, stop worrying about the clock and get to work. Stop worrying about the clock and get to work. A lot of Christians today are on decel time. They're decelerating when they should be accelerating. They've slowed down. Caught them asleep on the job. Slow down. They'll sleep on the job when they should be working. Now, what am I saying? I'm saying, Tanner, are you saying that we shouldn't be looking for the return of Jesus? No. Here's the thing. I already know he's coming back. Amen. Come on. That On those days when we were working, I knew work ended at 3 o'clock. Or 2 o'clock, actually. At 2 o'clock. I didn't have to know the exact minute. I just knew when the buzzer sounded, it's time to go home. And you worked all the way up to the time. 
That's what Christians have to understand. You work all the way up to the time. Keep your head down and continue to work and be productive and effective. Quit decelerating and start accelerating. We, you know he's coming back. He's going to return. But see, I was not worried. If you're not worried about the time, I'm more worried about the job. And see, that's the point is people are, are watching the clock. And I'm telling you, church, and I mean this in a respectful way, people are watching the clock hoping they can just get out of here. I'm just ready for you. Just, just I want to be done with this whole thing. And God said, there's still work to be done. Put your head down and go to work. Quit looking for, um, quit looking for a, a chance to get out of it. You know I'm coming back. I'm going to come back. Be prepared. Be ready. Be ready to meet me. See, that's the ill motive is that people are watching the clock because they want to do as little work as possible. I want to do as little work as possible. I'm, I'm asking you to, this morning to examine some pretty deep motives. Examine them. Examine them. Because I think you're going to find some things in yourself that we can check. We can check them. Okay, let's go to part two. Be prepared for Christ's coming. The limitations of travel in New Testament times made it impossible to give an exact return date when leaving on a long journey. Wealthy poverty owners often entrusted household affairs to reliable servants during their absence. Jesus described such a servant as faithful and wise. This servant would be responsible for managing fellow servants and serving meals. By consciously fulfilling his task, the servant would demonstrate his faithfulness and trustworthiness. So, um, goods given into someone else's hand, be responsible for those things while I am gone. They're in your care. You take care of them. Jesus promised that this kind of servant would receive a reward for a job well done when the master returned. In fact, he would be put in charge of all the master owned. Jesus describes a similar reward in the parable of the talents toward the end of the discourse in Matthew 25. Although the two parables' messages are different, a constant readiness in chapter 24 versus faithful investment in chapter 25. The wise servant's reward is comparable in each. As followers of Jesus, we are also promised a reward if we endure. And so I liken this to, to think of it like this. You get paid when you finish the job. You get paid. You don't, you, you know, you've heard of those, uh, there's, uh, sometimes there's deals where you can, um, you get paid in advance. And most of the time they don't do that anymore because people get burned on it. You don't get paid in advance. Why? Because, because when you get, as soon as the money hits your hand, there's a total lack of motivation. That's just the way it is. And if you haven't figured that out about yourself, you're lying to yourself. It's true. There's no, and, it's, and, it's, and it's difficult, too. You, let's say you have a, work, a, a, a week's worth of work ahead of you. I don't know if this has ever happened to anybody. you got a week's worth of work ahead of you, and then they come up, and they give you all the money. Here is all the money. I'm going to give you a paycheck in advance. You get all the money up front. Now go to work. It's awful. Because now you're working not from, uh, from behind, but ahead. It's like you're paying it back through work. And it's like, oh, it's awful. You don't get paid in advance, right? You don't. You get paid for a job well done. That's exactly the way it is. Now you get paid at the end. You get rewarded at the end for finishing the race, for doing what you were supposed to do, for um, being responsible for what's been put in your care. Well, let's talk about that for just a minute. What exactly has been put in your care as a Christian? Someone tell me. Obviously, we know the example. Jesus has went away. He's entrusted us with certain things. What has he entrusted us with? Relationships. 
Okay, perfect. Can we agree this morning that that right there, what pastor said, is something that you have to be responsible for? No one else's responsibility. It's not on anyone else. It's on you. Very good. Your relationship with other people. Relationship with others. All right, what does that mean exactly? All right, so could that allude to some of the things we were talking about earlier? Could that allude to forgiveness? Being responsible for forgiving people of their wrongs to you. Why? Because Jesus said, if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. That's some serious stuff. Amen. I mean, there, right there, Haven, you, we run into the reality check of thinking that we're in the right and then standing before him and him saying, look at all these people. Let me show you the laundry list of people that you refuse to forgive. So when you thought I was forgiving you, I was not. I was not. Let me ask y'all a question. And, and this is something to meditate on. Then we're going to move on. How do you know you're forgiven? When you ask for forgiveness, how do you know? Sincere by faith. You said it. That's it right there. It's by faith, isn't it? You believe scripturally because of what the scriptures say that if I go to the Father and I sincerely repent of my sins, he will forgive me. Then why is it that we don't believe the other half of that and believe that if I don't forgive people of their wrongs, that I cannot be forgiven? Why is it that we only want to hold on to the first half? If you're going to take one part of it, you've got to take the whole thing. Amen. And this morning, that's a, hard, that's a horse's pill to digest. That's a horse's pill. Because I truly believe that's, that there's an interconnection there when we, they stand before the Father and they say, we did all these things in your name. And he says, I don't know you anymore. I believe that is interconnected. Now, I don't know the extent of the conversation, but I believe there's an interconnection there. There, will, there is certain criteria, church, if you hadn't figured it out yet scripturally, there's a certain criteria that if you don't meet it, you don't make it. Pastor's been talking about it for weeks in preparation, we have been preparing. We have been waking up as a church. And one of those things is, is, yes, grace is amazing. It's afforded you the opportunity to even be saved. But there has been such an emphasis put on grace that the church has forgotten that there is a certain expectation to live up to. A requirement by you. And if you'll look and read carefully, don't skim over it. There are certain things that will flat out ban you from heaven nope you cannot come in nope you will not come in it's like no 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 lord grace right grace you forgave me yeah i did but you didn't do a very good job of taking care of it you weren't a real good steward with it you kind of squandered it it's all through the scriptures now can you earn is it earned? No. It's not earned. And I, I, I want to point that out because that's where people get this conversation kind of confused. And they think you're talking about earning your salvation. There's nothing you can do about this right here. This is the best thing that ever happened to you and I. Amen. was the cross. Now, he bought your way in. You get it? He bought your way in. He bought your way back to the Father. He, he went through it so you would have a pathway to go through. But then, by living for the Son... And the Father, there's an expectation of you and I to actually have to live up to. 
And that's where the church is confused today. Uh, pastors refer to this as hyper grace. It's true. It's true. I've heard it. I've heard these people talking about it. This is in there. Don't matter. Grace will cover it all. Okay. I'm not saying that grace don't cover it. But it, it, you're totally reckless if you think that you're just going to go through your life and not live for the Father and just think on that day, yeah, because I repented 25 years ago that when I stand before him, I'm going to be good. I don't, I don't know what to tell you. I hope it works out for you. But I'm telling you, there's a requirement. And forgiveness is one of those things. We've been required to forgive. And so I'm using that as an example. And I hope the Holy Spirit hits you with some stuff um, that you can uh, keep, you know, mm -hmm. that will convict you and that you can keep molding with. Okay. Um, all right. Okay. Jesus contrasted the faithful servant in his parable with another worker who was basically worthless, drawing a clear line between reward and punishment. The evil servant said in his heart that the master was not coming back after all. Soon his actions followed his thoughts. Right. It goes back to what we were saying. What did he, what did he believe? He believed he wasn't coming back. And so what did he do? He followed along suit with it. Nobody. I don't. Nobody reads this story. And thinks of themselves as being that person. <clears throat> Everybody, we always think of ourselves as being the prepared one. And I'm not saying that you're not. But this is a really good example and a really good opportunity for you and I to dig into our, our personal lives and our spirit. And to really ask ourselves some hard questions. And to look at what has been given. And look at how we're acting. With the, I love church. The last couple weeks I've been very, very candid and and. And transparent with this. It's been agonizing. Agonizing. That some of the things that have been revealed to me. And I've personally on a personal level. Have had to deal with the truths that have hit me. And they've hit me so hard. I said Lord that's that's almost too much. Now hold, hold on. You ever been in the sun too long? Do you get sun. Not just sunburnt. But I mean your body starts to kind of reject. It's like ooh ah that hurts. It's almost like the conviction has been, it's been so deep and so sincere. You know, before it was like, hey, I just want to warn you, you know, respectfully, uh, that those things are not good. You shouldn't, you probably shouldn't toy with that. And as the years went on, the Lord has gotten more serious and more serious to the point where he's like, I am telling you, stop touching that. It is a sin to me. Don't mess with it. I'm standing back thinking, wait a second. No, I mean, you're, I don't really see anything in your word that directly connects with that. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I've told you what sin is. It's a revelation to your heart. Stop saying it. Stop doing it. Stop touching it. Sometimes you can be too technical. Sometimes you can be too technical. You say, well, if it doesn't say it, then I'm not a... I'm not worried about it. Well, you better be worried about it because that's a personal revelation. And if the Lord has personally revealed something to you to get your hands off of, you better get your hands off of it. Yeah, that's all I'm telling you. You better stop touching it because I think we're going to be called into account one day on your, per on your personal level. Stop touching that. Okay. Um, where was I at? Okay, yeah, all right. Instead of caring for his fellow workers, the evil servant missed his, uh, misused his authority, beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. 
Not only was he taking advantage of his master's perceived delay, but he was engaging in a lifestyle that dulled his ability to remain alert and ready. A lifestyle that dulled his ability to remain alert and ready. That's, that's it. I mean, that's it. That's exactly what's going on today. It's the lifestyle that's doling people's ability to actually be ready and to understand what that actually looks like. Why is, it, why is it that the church has gone away? This is a question I'm asking myself. Why has the church gone away from the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous to I'm going to do as little as I can and hope he comes back soon and I'm found in good standing and we can be done with this thing? Think about it. See, you see the mentality? That perspective is dangerous. It's dangerous. Whatever happened to that fervency? Um, I've been I've been back back to it again, back to studying revivals, back to studying the American history on revivals. I love it. It's wonderful. I've learned a lot of things. And there's a common denominator. And I'm telling you, I, I'm through three of the six revivals right now of the greatest revivals that ever happened. And in these three, the three that I'm up to to this point, the common denominator is repentance. And you know what's, what's amazing about this is that this repentance that started taking place, it started within the church. The church is always looking at everybody else. The church is like, it's them sinners that need to get their act together. And in every great revival, it was the church that had to repent to get it started. It was the church. So what in the world are we thinking? Why are we thinking it's always someone else? Why are we thinking that the problem is out there? No, it starts here and with us and being honest okay ah the dulled ability to remain alert and ready when the master returned with no warning the servant was utterly unprepared come out with no warning well he said he was coming back without warning it's like I don't want to I don't want to say this and make it sound disrespectful it's like duh y'all knew I knew. He said it. He said, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you when. I'm just going to come back out of nowhere. It's going to be at a time that you do not know. And it's like, we spend our whole lives trying to figure out the exact day. Stop trying. Forget it. You just know he's coming back. Just be ready. Make sure your life is right and lined up. Jesus said part of the servant's punishment was being assigned a place with the hypocrites. The word hypocrite from the Greek word for actor or stage player indicates the servant had the outward appearance of being a business manager, but he was using the position for his own gain. So instead of enjoying the master's blessings like the faithful servant, this evil servant would be judged. Jesus' message is clear. When he returns, he expects to find us serving him out of a genuine love and faithfully carrying out his work. That's what he wants to find when he returns. That's what he wants to find. You busy, right? You know, when the clock goes up, no decel time. <laughs> No, no decel time, not 15 minutes tail, 20 minutes, 30 minutes tail. It's like, all right, we're going to decelerate. No. He said, I better find you working when I come back. Oh, okay, you're working. Great job. You're very productive. Reward. That matters. All right. Final section. Inherit the kingdom. Jesus told two parables to emphasize the suddenness of his return and the eternal consequences at stake. In the parable of the ten bridesmaids, five women were ready when the bridegroom came and five were left outside the door begging for it to be opened 
In the parable of the three servants, a master entrusted each of his servants with an amount of money. Two invested wisely, one fearfully buried his portion in the ground, and all were judged accordingly. Jesus then described a literal future event. All right, now this is what I want you to get a hold of because this right here, and I've had a hard time getting myself to wrap myself around this, but this is a coming event. This will happen. And there isn't anybody who has ever lived before. No one will miss this event. You'll be there. You will be there, both sides of this church. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there. People who lived 2,000 years ago will be there at this event. The great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, 11 through 15. Jesus will sit on the throne. Talk about authority. You talk about authority. Jesus is going to sit on the throne, and he is the, he is the pinnacle of government. And, and um, how do I say it? He's the pinnacle of, of leadership, of, of salvation, everything. All wrapped up. Everybody that has ever lived is going to see him sitting on that throne. And you're, everyone will know he's king. There will be no question. Some will mourn it. Some will celebrate it. But there will be no question he's the king. And the angels will bring before him both believers and unbelievers. Jesus will destroy the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2 and 8, cast him and the false prophet into the lake of fire, Revelation 19 and 20, and order Satan to be bound and cast into the abyss for a thousand years <clears throat> before setting up his glorious kingdom. Jesus explained the judgment and destiny of humanity, separation of the sheep from the goats, Matthew 25 and 32. Only Jesus knows each person's heart, so only he is qualified to administer perfect justice. This is true. And while this is comforting to some people, this is what came to me. I was reading this. This should actually be disturbing to you. Yeah. You know why? Let me read that one more time. Let's see if you catch it. Only Jesus knows each person's heart, so only he is qualified to administer perfect justice. That's right. You see, one of the things that you rely on in your life today whether you like it or not, is the subjectivity of a friend or your pastor or your leader or somebody around you that can tell you you're in the wrong. Hey, you're doing that wrong. You're not supposed to do that. No, you here, let me help you out a little bit. Now, you may pitch and throw fit and, and dislike it, and you can do that all you want, but it is a gift to you that you can be corrected because in the depths of your heart, Nobody knows what's going on there but you. It's between you and him. And it should bother you that there's nobody else that can point out what's going on inside your heart except the Holy Spirit. No one else. No one else knows it's there. Only you. So if there is something inside there that's detrimental, that could send you to hell. It's between you and the Father. Only between you and him. Mm -hmm. Find it now. Find it now. Before the time comes, we have to stand before him. Ask the Holy Spirit, show me. Show me where I'm wrong. I want to repent. I want to do it right now. Look, church, I'm telling you, he will bring it up. He'll bring it up. Some people like, um, I, don't, I don't believe this is how it works. Maybe it does in certain situations. I don't necessarily believe in blanket prayers. And we try to, 
we try to pray blanket prayers at times, and I think in certain situations it works. But what I mean by a blanket prayer is, is um, Lord, forgive me for everything I've ever done, even the stuff that I don't even know about. Now, that's fine in certain situations. I think that's okay. But you see, there are some things in our lives that need to be confronted. They need to be confronted. That, that means you having a face-off with the thing that has offended the Lord. And when you have a face-off with it, it gives you the opportunity to look square at it in all the horrendousness and all that it is and to turn away from it and to repent to a holy God and say, I repent for what I've done to you. I repent. See, it's too easy. Pastor's brought this up before. It's too It's kind of like a friend. You know, what? how does he want us to handle the people that we're connected with? What does he want you to do? He wants you to go to him, doesn't he? Yes. He wants you to take care of it face to face. But what we would prefer to do, sweep that thing underneath the rug. Let's pretend like that thing didn't happen. It's okay between you and I, right? I didn't really offend you too bad, right? Because we don't like confronting things. It's not something we're real good at. We're not, we don't, it makes us uncomfortable. Can we agree on that this morning? Amen. It makes us uncomfortable. It's the same thing when you realize what sin is. And this is why, this is why I don't believe in blanket prayers when we've offended God and we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, and, I'm a, and I am a recipient of this, this is why I'm telling you. So I'm like, I thought I repented of all those things. And the Lord said, you got some things you need to confront. Come on, no, we're gonna, we need to talk about them. We need to talk about, it's kind of like when you was a kid, you remember when you was a kid and you knew you did wrong. He said, I'm sorry. You ever, you know when you was super guilty and you said sorry and they didn't even know what you were saying sorry for? <laughs> what are you saying sorry for? Well, I, you know, I did some stuff. But, you know, I said I'm sorry, so I'm good. See, that's exactly how we want it to be. We want to kind of apologize and kind of just say, okay, I don't want to have to look at it. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you need to face it. You need to face it. You need to confront it. You need to look directly at it. You can feel the pain inside your heart when you look at it. You're like, mm-mm, I don't want to look at it. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. You're right. It's sin. You're supposed to feel that way. But then it gives us the authentic opportunity to repent and to turn away from it and go to God and say, I'm turning away from it I'm coming to you. I'm turning away from my sin and I'm coming to you. I'm running out of time. I hope these things are hit, hit your heart this morning. There's an authenticity to this thing that we live in. I hope that you understand we've got to get away from the familiar era of just thinking these things are just passive. They're not passive. Repentance is not passive. It's a very real thing. It's almost, um, if I can put it in a way that I have experienced it in my life, it's almost ceremonious between you and the Father. It's a very major moment between you and him when you come before him and you repent of your sin it's sometimes not a bedtime prayer thing because it's such a major event for someone to repent and lay off sin and to come back to the father that's a big deal there's a lot of value he places in that it's not wrapped up listen church i'm not being disrespectful to uh, this morning it's not a latin now lay me down to sleep kind of prayer if you authentically hate sin like he hates sin, then it's going to mean something to you. You might agonize for a while over what has actually taken place and realize you were risking everything 
by entertaining it. You're risking everything. Remember, remember, we don't know when the end is, right? We don't know. Snap, snap. Time, life ends. It's over. Are we where we need to be with him? Those at Jesus' right hand will be the ones who belong to the Father. The works Jesus mentions in Matthew 25, 35-36 are outward evidence of the salvation they have already received. It says that those at his right hand will be the ones that belong to the Father. I don't know how this is going to operate exactly, the right and the left. But you're going to remember that scripture when you stand there. You're going to remember it. And you're going to be looking, does he mean his right or mine? What does this mean? You're going to know. Which side am I on? You're going to know. Now, whether that's something that happens in a literal fashion right there on planet Earth or whether that's something that happens in your spirit and you know whether you're on the left or the right, I don't know. But he says he'll divide them. Left hand, right hand. You're going to know. Um, the works they uh, mentions uh, in Matthew 25, 35 to 36 are outward evidence of the salvation they have already received. Each action reflects his own compassion. His faithful followers have reached out to the least of these, feeding the hungry, giving water to the thirsty, showing hospitality to strangers, clothing the poor, caring for the sick, and visiting prisoners. Those on his left hand have not done these things. Their indifference to the needs of others was the same as neglecting Jesus himself. The unrighteous will receive punishment, but the righteous will receive eternal life. We have been warned of what awaits us at the eternal or I'm sorry, at the final judgment, each of us must choose our eternity, eternal destiny. Okay, I'm out of time. Um. <laughs> Some of y'all probably have me. <laughs> That's a difficult message. That's a difficult thing to put out there. So my heart's been challenged by this. It's been challenged. I want to say this before, I, before we wrap this thing up. Um, I say a lot of stuff in these lessons. And I, and I want to make sure that you understand. We have a small church, so I can say this. I wouldn't say this. If there was 100 people here, I probably wouldn't say this. But I'm going to say this to you. Always know that I'm open for conversation. If I say something that you, doesn't believe, that you don't believe lines up with the Word of God, if, you, if there's something that just doesn't click with you correctly, come talk to me. Come talk to me. Let me clarify. If you hear something you think, I don't know about that. That's fine. I want you to talk to me. I don't ever want to leave anybody thinking that I'm trying to... to come at another angle or my own personal opinion. And if I ever find myself in that, or if you call me out on it, I want to apologize. My whole duty and my heart's desire is to preach to you what I believe or minister to you what I believe God has laid on my heart and put in front of me to give to you. I'm going to be held accountable one day for this stuff right here. Amen. So I, I want to apologize to you as a congregation. Um, if I haven't given you that opportunity before, or if I've said something that may have caused doubt, I want you to ask me about it. Please, before the, before the day is over, call me. Confront me out here in the lobby. Let's talk. And let me clarify what I mean, uh, because I want to make sure that everybody's clear. I want to see everybody in heaven when we're there on Judgment Day. I want us all to be going to the same place. Amen. God bless you guys. I'm out of time. Let's have a good service. Amen.